Welcome to the podcast, 10 Solutions for a Feminist Climate Resilient Recovery. I am Maria Lee from the global network, WOCAN, Women Organizing for Change in Agriculture and Natural Resource Management. The current global crisis presents a unique opportunity to put climate resilience at the center of the conversation around what is important and how to build a better future for all. The solutions to build resilience to crisis are linked to the preservation of our Earth's resources and the stewardship of these. In this podcast series, we will be sharing 10 solutions for a climate resilient post-recovery through conversations with international thought leaders. Today, we speak with Coletta Shitsike from Zimbabwe. Coletta is a trainer and capacity building specialist with extensive experience in community and organizational development and gender training for change. She has worked with many international organizations and serves as a WOCAN associate and gender trainer. In this capacity, Coletta has led multiple trainings and workshops on gender and organizational change and reframing leadership. She shares a perspective on the importance of capacity development, in particular human skills to cope with change, and how participatory approaches such as women leadership circles and mentorship of women and men need to be given more attention. Hello, Coletta. Hi, hi, Maria. Thank you so much, Coletta, for accepting our invitation to join this podcast and talk about the importance of capacity building, climate resilience, and gender. Some development organizations and funders are calling for a new emphasis on capacity development as a way to build resilience to crisis, whether it is this current one or climate crisis. We know that global crisis, COVID in particular, but in the same way as climate change, affects everyone, but not equally. And this understanding is essential for designing initiatives that build appropriate adaptive capacity and resilience based on the needs and situation of different groups. So from your perspective, Coletta, what type of capacities do you believe are required to enable women and men to cope with and adapt to changes such as those posed by a pandemic or by climate change? Thanks, Maria. Capacity building is an area that I'm very passionate about. I realize over the years And from my experience, I've spent my last 30 years working in gender, gender and development, as well as organizational development. There are many things that interlink. And I have been fortunate to work with uh, many levels, political levels, scientists, and uh, general training of professionals who work in various disciplines that need gender. As we know, gender is in everything. If you are talking of development, 
And if you are leading development, in most cases, people have got a lot of intellectual and disciplinary capacity. For example, if I'm an agronomist, I will know how to strengthen my agronomy aspect. And perhaps some of the scientific uh, issues that surround uh, the land, the water, the trees, but the element that I've often found missing is the element of human beings. A leadership does not only need intellectual capacity. It does not only need physical resources that we deal with, but it also needs elevation of the human being for them to cope and to manage their lives. So I would say, I would like a leader who is very strong in their, in their discipline, but who take into account the human, the human aspect. It's a combination of uh, the competencies, professional competencies, as well as the soft skills. I don't even like to them soft skills because they are not soft. I think they are among the most difficult areas to, to work with when you are talking of gender in leadership, gender in climate resilience, etc., etc. That's I find people are not dissatisfied enough with patriarchy. People are not dis- dissatisfied in this situation in order to, you know, to make a vision, to say it could be better if it was done this way. It would also be important to know what, what is the change that we, we are talking about to cope with the position that we are in at the moment with climate. I am particularly concerned with water because I come across it every day. I grew up seeing lovely stretches and stretches of forests, trees, grass, but uh, at the moment everything looks dry. Even in my own homestead, I have now started to put very strict rules regarding water. And unless we have individuals who have that strong feeling, we may not be we may not be successful with our efforts. When I'm talking of the soft skills, I'm talking about the ability uh, to communicate effectively, the ability to know who you are, the awareness that you have yourself and how it impacts on the people you lead, as well as how it, their awareness impacts on you who is driving the the change. So if anybody asked me about leadership in terms of a theory or change, my emphasis is we have got enough disciplinary knowledge. We need more creation of leaders and activists who are aware of themselves as well as how they relate to others. You know, the 
ability to, prob- to, to solve uh, problems, the ability to identify conflict and uh, trying to, to manage the conflict. I'm talking about the ability even to listen. Yeah, so as, as you said, it's really a, um, a combination of having those technical capacities to respond to certain crises, but really importantly to have in addition all these leadership and um, human capacity to also uh, be able to 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 cope and, and adapt to to those changes and you you have many years of experience leading capacity development initiatives in particular for women's leadership can you share with us what approaches in particular could support women capacity development participatory approaches are one of the my 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 trump card. I talk about participation, even at very senior, uh, very senior situations. Connecting before pre, uh, before content is very important. All approaches that support connecting before content are better likely to be successful. It would be good to say we tried this, we tried it together and we failed. Or we tried it and look at how big this has become. So I really support participatory approaches such as uh, getting getting men um, becoming part of the change, approaching men in their own spaces initially and then taking them in together with women and start that transformational process. Women's circles, Wokan was doing extremely well with women's circles in South Africa. I think it's a brilliant concept, although now it will be affected with COVID virus. For quite some time, we may not be able to meet physically. That means many programs which were working directly with people may end up being virtual and we lose some of the valuable uh, situations I, 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 I myself love. Coming up, spending nights with uh, rural women under a tree talking about the things that matter to women and how we can take those things not antagonizing, but getting them to learn and see that women are powerful and women will do things to change their lives. Can you explain a little bit what the uh, women leadership circles are about and how they they work? I will take a good example of where I live. We have so many districts. In each, in in we have so many districts in this country. We have structures, political structures, professional structures that operate in each district. So a woman, a women's circle would be picking. Let's say you decide to take on the politicians. They form their own circle. 
let's talk about the professionals in multi-stakeholder places like health, education, the police force, security sector, the water people, the NGOs that are working in that area, uh, come together and discuss the problems as they see them, which obviously will center a lot on men and women and come up with the ideas of what they would like to take uh, to take on as, as a, ma- a major theme or issue to deal with. Gender and climate change <laughs> on its own is a feminist issue. It's a feminist issue because women are the ones that deal mainly with the important uh, important situations and important functions, whether it is at home, whether it is at, uh, at professional level, or whether it is a geographical area that one is covering. Back, I used to work in a, in a very remote area, and uh, the women there were telling me as we were busy cooking our food, do you know, well, nobody ever talked to us about where do you fetch water? Who wants to fetch, to fetch water from 25 kilometers away when you can have a small well uh, two kilometers or around your homestead? Very simple examples are important. So it's women's circles, it's continuous training within formal structures. Let's not forget change comes when there are more individuals in institutions that can then make policies at a much higher level. As long as we have uh, levels, village level, provincial level of very gender-blind or no awareness of stuff, nothing will move. So we, we, I support strongly the education. It can be through the women's circles. Some people call them study groups. In agriculture, they would be called study groups, where initially they somebody who starts it, and then they carry on them, they, on their own for a number of years, perhaps, keeping the history, and changing gradually. It's not so easy to get into a male space and start talking about gender. They may dismiss you, they may throw you out, they may argue with you, and many will even leave. But if it is done from a circle, the people in that circle know each other. And it's easier for them to discuss the problems as they see it in their in their lives. So participatory approaches are key. But once again, participatory approaches can be driven forward by a number of people who have behavioral attitudes that are supportive of the change initiative. Yeah, so it's it's also about leadership, the type of leadership in in those uh, spaces, which are safe spaces where women could actually learn, exchange, and and also build their self confidence. And 
when we prepared the, the interview, you also mentioned the importance of mentoring young women, having role mm. models. Can you expand a little bit on, on that as, as a way to also build capacity development and cope with change? It's a very important uh, approach. Mentoring and coaching are very important. To begin with, pe people, especially young women, will not approach an individual that they know is arrogant, that they know doesn't take anything forward, that doesn't listen. So these skills to allow uh, women to coach are also very special skills. I know a lot of people go and do human resources training, uh, community development, social work, but I have yet to see a curriculum that spends a lot of time talking about behavioral attitudes. I look back at myself and I say, I'm a liberated woman, but it's because of the senior people I've worked with who were willing to coach me to become better than what I was. It's, it's a key, key approach. I remember one of my lecturers talking about uh, an approach that says uh, sitting next to Nelly. If Nelly is a, a dressmaker, you become an excellent dressmaker. If Nelly is a big football fan and you run beside Nelly, you are there. So coaching is, is something which I cannot uh, overemphasize. And it's a little bit about, the, as this is a kind of like having role models that can show you the way and, and how by building the capacity of a woman that actually will also trigger changes in the, the women that are around them. And you started to talk about the importance of engaging men. Have you seen in your experience how men can be uh, engaging in this capacity development towards also being more inclusive in the um, arena of, of climate change? Yes. number of uh, men that I've worked with, I have coached a number of male scientists uh, who have then taken it on and used the experience for the better of uh, other spaces. Many, I've got quite uh, an interesting, uh, an interesting experience and history working with individual men for gender equality. Even now, I still coach, they'll call me and say, ah, I found myself in this situation. How can I, you know, deal with it or how can I manage it? And that, I think, goes a long way. There has been a, a kind of a slump on capacity. I know, for example, donors who give monies to projects, 
are very interested in the physical resources, that's the money, the transport, the materials for, if it's agriculture, the seed, the fertilizer, but not very keen to fund the education of those recipients, how to manage the resources that they get. In fact, I have had a, a number of meetings where I raised the issues with donors that they are looking at the content. They are not looking at the connection. Remember earlier I said, connecting precedes content. There is need for capacity development that is connected to connecting, giving resources and support to activities that aid connecting. Even if it's a simple small office, if we don't connect and we push for content, the result is uh, now. There's been a lot of money put into environment programs. But if you put money into environment programs and you are not looking at the reason why people bend the grass, the reason why people cut the trees, the reason why they plow near the water, near the rivers and the rivers get silted, those things need to be paid attention to. Soft skills, if we call them that, are important. And I wanted to have your perspective on what would be the ingredients in in your mind for a feminist approach to building these adaptive capacities and, and resilience. Gender and climate change and climate resilience is feminism. Is the women who hold the ticket to everyone's food. We need to continue creating awareness of the several inequalities that still exist. We need to engage with the power because this whole question of uh, access to resources, access to information, access to water, access to seed, access to everything is is not equal between men and women. There are still very serious inequalities that need to be changed in order to, to make the world realize that we need to be climate resilient. Yeah, so it, it takes really uh, a shift in, in mindset. It's about having the woman at the table. It's about having more awareness for men, but also for women, if we want actually for this feminist approach to translate into, into reality. Particularly the mindsets of men. Patriarchal power needs to be disentangled. I know many women who say we are the ones who bring up the boys. Yeah, but we bring them up to be powerful instead of giving our children equal opportunities. 
Is there any specific call to action on that topic that you think is really important to share with organizations or with governments? The important thing is to include uh, women on the agenda of programs that aim at climate change and resilience. But that, uh, that agenda needs to include the mechanisms to disentangle power so that the women do have power given to them for their well-being. My call for action is a lot intense awareness, very intense awareness at many levels, the highest political level and all the following levels. Well, thank you very much once again, Coletta, for sharing your thoughts with you on this topic. Thank you, Maria. You've been listening to Orkan Podcast, 10 Solutions for a Feminist Climate Resilient Recovery. If you want to know more about Orkan's activities, please go to www.orkan.org. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.